now we get into a section related to truth. This is Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one here white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks, well, I don't know if you've been following in the news the trial of John Edwards. John is a former North Carolina senator who was a vice presidential candidate a little while ago. And it's been discovered that John Edwards had an illicit affair by which he had a child through that affair. And further, John Edwards actually uh, siphoned about a million dollars or so it is uh, accused of to go ahead and create a slush fund to take care of this woman. Now, Edwards has been indicted by North Carolina grand jury on six felony charges, uh, four counts of illegal campaign contributions, one count of conspiracy, and one count of making false statements. If he is convicted, he faces up to 30 years in prison and a $1.5 million fine. But Edwards isn't the only one in the news, is he? Roger Clemens testified recently he's been indicted as well by a federal grand jury for use of steroids. Uh, he was, uh, came out in a book with Jose Canseco. Clemens went on 60 Minutes and denied uh, that that had occurred. Indeed, he even testified before Congress that he was clean. And now he's sitting with several counts of obstruction of Congress, three counts of making false statement, and two counts of perjury. One final story, I don't know if you saw the CEO of Yahoo, Scott Thompson, who was recently hired and stepped down. And he was accused of padding his resume, saying he had a, a second major, a second college degree, and misrepresented himself, and the board called for his resignation, and he stepped down. Why do I tell these stories? They're all about major figures, and they're all about lies and mistruths. We live in a cynical age, don't we? Some people even say there is no truth. There's only your side of truth that you're using to manipulate me and further your own gain. Indeed, we have a whole industry, don't we, about creating image and portraying truth. We call it public relations, PR. Indeed, my favorite uh, poet-philosopher band, Switchfoot, gives this quote in their song called Selling the News. America listens as the story is told, with the eye on the truth as the story unfolds. But the ratings determine which story was sold for selling the news. Begging the question, mongering fears, stroking the eyes and tickling the ears, the truth is seldom just as it appears we're selling the news. I want to believe you, I want to believe, but everything is in between. The fact is fiction. Suspicion is the new religion. It is true, suspicion is the new religion. Can we believe in anything? Can we count on anyone to go ahead and keep their word? Now, it's easy for us to look at the media and look at leaders and question them, but we have to also take a mirror and look at ourselves. Who of us in the room has not been affected by being lied to by someone else, by promises being made and then being broken, 
Indeed, ourselves lying to others, making promises that we don't uh, keep up, whether it's those big ones or those little supposedly hard, harmless lies we call white lies. All of us, if we're honest, as we experience the devastation of lies and broken promises. And so we have to ask the question as we look from the top to the bottom, is there truth? Is there faithfulness? How are we not to be subsumed by the culture in which we live? And amidst all of this, Jesus gives the startling words, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else comes from evil. But that seems to us so difficult. How can we do such a thing? Jesus tells us in the scripture one central truth that there is only one way. For Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's only Jesus that can lead us into truth and give us the courage to stand up under it. So if you commit yourself to God's truth, it's only then that you will not be false to anyone else. Well, let's unpack that statement. We're going to look at three things. Number one, we're going to try to figure out what is this standard? We need to recognize the standard of truth. That's my first point. Then we're going to delve a little deeper. We need to understand why we lie. Not only what is the lie, but what's behind the lie. And then my final third point, we need to figure out how can we be rescued from these lies to live in the truth. For if you commit yourself to God's truth, it's only then that you will not be false to anyone else. Let's go to my first point, recognizing the standard of truth. Jesus is talking about truth specifically in this passage as it relates to making promises and vows. He says in it, again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or by earth, or by Jerusalem, or even by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now the society in which Jesus was speaking was very similar to ours, in which trust was the grease that turned the wheels of society. Now there wasn't a lawyer on every street corner, and so it was even more important that people kept their word, that people kept their oaths, whether in business dealings or relational dealings. In fact, the word oath in the Greek, herkos, literally means an enclosure, to bind oneself. So when you're making an oath or a vow, you're binding oneself to saying, uh, doing what you're going to say, fulfilling what you're going to promise. And so they and we make oaths to people, but they also make oaths to God. As they went to the temple and made vows, whether they were going to give something to God or that they were going to do something for God, these oaths were binding, but they were like an enclosure. We do the same things, don't we? So God gave us a host of instruction regarding vows and how we are to take them. These are some of them in the Old Testament. We know the third commandment, you shall not take the Lord, of God, uh, Lord your God's name in vain. In other words, you, you shall not use his name to bolster something you're going to say and then go back on it. You shall not bear false testimony. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6.13 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you will swear. And Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane, profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so invoking the name of the Lord in, our, in vows and oaths was a way of calling divine sanctions down upon ourselves. 
If I don't obey this, the Lord is the one who will avenge because I have spoken falsehood. In fact, we even do this today, don't we? If you ever took the witness stand, you put your hand on the Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me God. Now the Pharisees, the religious teachers, took all of this teaching of the Old Testament and they distilled it and boiled it down to one key sentence. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But like anyone else, they started to think, how can we sort of cheat the system a little bit? How can we take care of that and yet at the same time live the way we want to? For life is hard. And so they created a system of vows. A system, what about if you made a vow to something else and not to the Lord? Was it binding or was it not? In fact, some vows would be binding and some wouldn't. They made this huge uh, structure, if you will, in their teaching. For instance, if you made a vow toward Jerusalem, it was not binding. But if you made a vow by Jerusalem, it was binding. Why? I have no clue. And Jesus, when he came along, was unbelievably vindictive against the Pharisees by calling them out. In Matthew 23, 16, he says, Woe to you blind guides. I'm sure that went over very well. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the gold swears by the temple as well. By the temple swears by the one who dwells in it. See, Jesus is saying, you're hypocrites. You're trying to find a loophole around the system. But you need to understand that everything belongs to me. Indeed, heaven and earth in this passage where he says, don't swear by heaven. It's God's throne. Don't swear by the earth. It's God's footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Indeed, don't even swear by your head, for you cannot make one here white or black. What he's saying is that all things belong to God. That you who are trying to manipulate the law have neglected the spirit of the law. And so Jesus brings out the true teaching of the law when he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Let what you say simply be yes or no. So here we have to ask the question, is Jesus forbidding oaths? In fact, there are some people that believe that, that are Christians, the Quakers, for instance. They looked at that, they took it literally, and they said, we can't take an oath. So therefore, we will not in a court or in anywhere take oaths. But I want to suggest to you that that is an incorrect interpretation. Because in the New Testament, we see numerous cases of oaths being taken. Indeed, Jesus was under oath twice by the uh, chief priest and Pilate, and answered under oath. Paul ordered, had oaths as well. For instance, in Corinthians 1.23, but I called God to witness against me, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again in Corinth. And finally, in Acts 18.18, 18, it says that Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centria because of a vow he had taken. So no, Jesus is not uh, eliminating vows. He's not prohibiting vows and oaths. He's expanding them. What he's saying is that all things are oath. We're under oath with everything we say, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing. God's standard is the standard of truth. 
And you can try to rewrite God's laws, but He is the judge. And He says we shall not take His name in vain. We shall be upright and honest in our dealings with people. We shall not use false weights and deceptive business practices. We shall be upright as the Lord is upright. And all are accountable to me. And so the first step we must realize is to recognize His truth. What is His truth? It's His statutes. It's how He defines, defines truth in the Scriptures. Joshua 1.8 says, Do not neglect this book of the law, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God is saying that there are no loopholes. You can deny truth, but you can't avoid it. Matthew 12.36 says this, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. His standard is the standard. I don't know if you heard about this uh, scandal that occurred a couple years ago. It was the SAT scandal. Anybody remember that? It happened in a prestigious community in Long Island. The sons and daughters of wealthy people. A well-known lawyer. The son of the president of a local library board. And a wealthy philanthropic family. They were marginal students, and so what they did was hire ringers to go in and take the SAT and the ACT for them. Indeed, they paid up to $3,600 to have people to go in, in their stead, and to take the test for them. Ended up being about 40 students, 20 who were indicted, 20 not because they were the uh, standard of uh, limitations had expired. See, these people said, the standard doesn't apply to me. And so I'm going to create a loophole, a way to get around the standard. But the standard caught up with them, as it eventually always does. Because truth can be denied, but it can't be avoided. And so we have to look at our own hearts as I ask you the question, what is your standard? How do you judge truth? Is it by God's standard, or are you on a sliding scale? You're on a business trip, you get a certain per diem per day, you submit your expense account, and well, there's an opportunity to pad it a little bit, nobody will know. In fact, everybody's doing it, so you go ahead. Some friends are gossiping, and this particular woman's name comes up, and you can't resist that opportunity to, you heard something, to throw your little information in there. It's true, or at least you think it is. Or you have a take-home test, and it's on an honor system, and it's an important grade. Do you go ahead and focus on your own, or maybe you call your friend for a little bit of help? You see, his scale, my friends, is the only one that matters, because all of our life is under oath. And so we must recognize His truth. For ignorance of the law is no excuse for breaking the law. And so our yes must be yes, and our no must be no, with absolute integrity. Whether in our financial dealings, or in our relational dealings, indeed, even in our spiritual dealings. Recognize His truth. Well, that brings me to my second point, which is this. Why do we lie? Why do we do things like this? I didn't ask the question, how do we lie? 
For we all know how to lie, don't we? How about this one? Have you ever, do you know this person? Oh yeah, I know that person. I don't know that person at all. Why do I say that? Or hey, have you ever been to this restaurant? Oh yeah, I've been to that restaurant. I've never been to that restaurant before. Why did I just say that? Why did it come out of my mouth? See, we learn to lie when we're young, don't we? Or it comes out. Did you brush your teeth? Oh yeah, I brushed my teeth. Did you do your homework? Oh yeah, I did my homework. Some people would say this lying is a psychological problem. But the answer is no, it's not psychological. The issue is spiritual. When you break it down, there's a host of reasons why we lie. We want to be liked. We want to be approved of. We want to get what we want. In fact, we want to be in control of our circumstances. I think when it boils down to it, we want to create our own reality. Because we're not satisfied with reality as it is. So we need to manipulate it to make it to a more palatable reality that we like. We boast about our athletic accomplishments because we want to fear, feel special. We tear down our colleagues because we want to get ahead at the office. We lie about our homework because we just don't want to do it. See, in this new reality, I'm in control. And I can do anything I want as long as I can get away with it. It was Hitler who was the master of this. He coined something he called the big lie. And he says, in the big lie, there is always a certain force of credibility because the broad masses of a nation are always more easily uh, corrupted in the deeper strata of their emotional nature than consciously or voluntarily. And thus, in the primitive simplicity of their minds, they more readily fall victims to the big lie than the small lie. Since they themselves often tell small lies in little matters, but would be ashamed to resort to large-scale falsehoods. It would never come into their mind to fabricate colossal untruths, and they would not believe that others could have the impudence to distort the truth so infamously. So at the end of the day, under Hitler's definition, the only difference between us and him is his brazenness. He manipulated reality for his own gain, and he was worshipped. So really, when we boil it down to the spiritual point of why we lie, it's quite simple. We want to be God. We want to replace God's rules and put our own in its place. Shouldn't surprise us at all. You know, the first person to do this wasn't even a person. It was an angel. His name was Satan. Lucifer, the bright morning star. At the top of the hierarchy of angels, he was only the one less powerful than God right underneath God. But Satan was not comfortable with the reality. Even though he had been given all things, he wanted more. He wanted to rewrite the rules. And so he attempted to become God. This is what Jesus says about Satan in John 8.43 when he's speaking to unbelievers. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. What was the result of Satan's coup d'etat? He fell, fell to earth, fell to hell. See, God is saying that there is only one Lord and it's not you. 
And he says, I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Why is the Lord the Lord? I think of Moses. Remember that time when he walked in and he saw the burning bush? He comes along and he comes to a face-to-face -face encounter with the Lord. And the Lord says to go to Egypt and to free my people, for I've seen their groaning and suffering. And Moses asked the question, when the elders asked me, who has sent me, what is the name I am to give them? And God said, Yahweh, I am who I am. Yahweh, the word, comes from the Hebrew, chaya, which the verb Hebrew, chaya, which means to be. In other words, God is saying, I am existence. I am reality. See, all other beings are derived. My name is Carlos Rodriguez. I came along because my parents had me, Zeke and Judy Rodriguez. We're all derived beings. But there is one who is uncaused, who is true reality that brings reality to everything else. And thus, since he is uncaused and the arbiter of reality, his truth stands. And he says, be faithful because I am faithfulness. Be true because I am truth. Have integrity because I am integrity. All the word is, is a reflection of God's character. And so if we must recognize his truth, we must also recognize his lordship. See, when we lie, we actually lie twice. We lie to someone else and we lie to ourselves thinking that we can go above God's standard. All lies do is take us off the path of God, entangle us in deception. Lies are the seeds of our own destruction. Think of these guys, John Edwards and Clemens and Thompson. You think if I asked them the question, if you could take it back, what you said and did, would you? They would all say yes. But their lust for power led to their fall. You know, Hitler was worshipped for a while. Maybe worshipped more than any man last century. He achieved ultimate power. Millions raised their hand in salute to him. But with absolute power, it drove him to madness. He suffered from many physical ailments, severe abdominal spasms, he complained of buzzing and ringing in his ears. He was afflicted with hypertension and headaches and heart trouble. He had problems with his vision. And he had severe emotional problems. His phobias of disease, his explosive rages, his delusions and conviction that he would die at an early age. He was filled with paranoia, narcissism, anxiety, and depression. Indeed, his very friends created a campaign to try to assassinate him. And though millions worshipped him at the end of his life, he only believed that he had two friends, Eva Braun, his mistress, and Blondie, his dog. He committed suicide right before the Russians arrived. See, we can recognize only one reality because there's only one Lord. And so we must recognize his lordship, and we must not deviate from it. When we decide to try to become Lord, all that happens are broken promises to our families, deceptive business deals that go bad, betrayals of friends as we become ensnared. We must recognize that we cannot manage and manipulate our lives, and we must put him in the center, 
living in His ways, accepting His reality, trusting in Him with our circumstances. Does that mean we should try to change our circumstances? Certainly, but within God's parameters. And just as Jesus was with His Father, we ask but we say, not as I will, but as you will. We trust Him with our circumstances, and we trust Him by obeying His commandments. John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. We sit under the microscope of the Word of God, which says that it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. So we recognize His truth, but we also recognize His Lordship. For when we commit ourselves to God's truth, it's only then that we will not be false to anyone. Well, this brings me to my third point. How can we be rescued from our lives to live in the truth? The answer is that we can't do it on our own. This lies is part of sin. It's like an infection in the world that is spread and permeated to every corner. See, as best as we try, we cannot reach truth. Truth must reach us. And so the gospel is what God has sent to us to free us by bringing us the truth and the power to live in it. Jesus Christ was the truth bringer. I'm reminded of that interchange with Pontius Pilate where Jesus is standing before Pilate as a prisoner. And he asked the question, are you a king? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I would not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then, of course, there was Pilate's infamous statement, what is truth? He was standing right in front of it, and he didn't recognize it. Jesus said, if you follow me, if you believe in me, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, we need more than truth, though. We need to know more than God's standard. We need more than truth. We also need grace. We need love that overwhelms our hearts and changes us into one who wants to live under the standard of God. And that's where I'm thankful for Christ. For Moses came bringing truth, but Jesus came bringing grace and truth. The only way we can be saved is for Christ to embrace our lives of falsehood and overcome them with truth. You know, it's ironic that the only way we can be set free from our lives is for the one who was the truth to be imprisoned and sentenced by them. Think about the trial of Jesus, a mockery of justice. False witnesses came forward to accuse him. The Pharisees trumped up charges in order to bring him to Pilate. And though Pilate was sworn to uphold justice, he broke vows to give in to the people. Indeed, even his own friend Peter three times denied knowing him with an oath on the third time. I swear I don't know. 
But yet, Jesus was faithful of his oath to the Father. Our lives just as much as those entangled him. But Jesus was faithful to the oath he gave his Father. He never wavered. Jesus was faithful to the truth, to the end. Why did Jesus succumb to the lies of man? Because the truth, above all truths, is this, that he loves us. And that he was willing to extricate us from our lies by dying for them. The cross of Jesus is payment for our lives. And the resurrection of Jesus is proof that truth triumphs over falsehood. And so we must bow down to his truth. And we must bow down to his lordship. But we also must succumb to his love. His love is the power that gives us strength to overcome falsehood with truth. How can we be faithful? We can be faithful because he is faithful. And he is in us and we are in him. How can we be true to our word? Because he is true. And he is in us and we are in him. For Jesus says, do not fear. God the Father said, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When we're tempted to lie, to create our own reality, remember him. His reality is better. When we're tempted to build ourselves up, look to him. For he gives us the meaning and purpose and significance we are looking for. For if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not graciously, along with him, give us all things? And so, because of Christ and through Christ, let us honor him with integrity. When we say yes and mean yes, and we say no and mean no, we are acknowledging that God's way is best. And we can keep our oaths even when it hurts in the big things and in the small things. And as scriptures tell us, let us hold unswervingly to, unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. If you commit yourself to God's truth, only then can you and will you not be false to anyone else. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are truth. Lord, let us not be like Pilate, that when you are standing right in front of us, we can't recognize you. Lord, your word is truth, and so we must recognize that you are the standard, not our sliding scale. You are reality, and so we must recognize your lordship, for you are on the throne. Your reality is the only one that matters. But finally, we must succumb to your love, that you are the one that breaks our hearts and makes it renewed to live in righteousness, not for our glory, but for yours, pleasing you with our speech, our thoughts, and our actions. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.